Rusty Quill presents. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey guys, the spinoff series, The Diary of Eliza Schultz, is now available for everyone. Go to anchor.fm slash Eliza Schultz, that's A-L-I-Z-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z, or type in The Diary of Eliza Schultz wherever you're listening to this podcast. It's a story about a book reviewer that's trying to review every novel by fictional author Raphael Muslani, and the first three episodes are available now. If you'd like to get episodes six weeks early, then you can visit Patreon. And now, here's the Patreon spiel. Patreon, Wobegon, Patreon, Patreon.com slash woe underscore begon. I hear there's all kinds of stuff on there. Our monthly Q&A for $2 patrons just went up. I just did a commentary track for $10 patrons. We just hit a donation goal where I have to make a five-minute juggling video. That's going to be something. Early access to episodes, instrumental, soundtrack albums, a special Discord channel, and so much more. Again, that's patreon.com slash woe underscore begon. Thanks to my 10 newest patrons. Giles Barton Owen, Jay, Keisha Hill, Marie Koo, FBT, Cassie Murphy, Pineapple, Johnny Bazookatone, Elliot K, and SRay96 for supporting the show. Enjoy. Warning, this episode contains a description of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Let's talk about digital fingerprints for a second. I think if you control f the script of every episode of Wolbegon for the term digital fingerprint, you'd find it a few times. Notably when Cannonball was threatening to track down Anne by doing a search of every missing police officer in the country. You don't need me to tell you that the modern internet is designed to make all of your digital fingerprints as visible as possible in the worst ways to the worst people. Websites will track you on other websites and then sell your data to anyone who wants to buy it. Nothing is secure, and this episode is not brought to you by a VPN. I could um actually all day about how VPNs aren't secure in the way that they act like they are, but we don't have all day. Some people have already pushed the skip forward 15 seconds button, I'm sure. I've always wondered about the impact of my digital fingerprint with regards to Wobegon. There's a lot of digital detritus that results from playing the game and then talking about it. Text messages with game runners, videos taken of challenges, work documents related to Over, correspondence with Anne, missing persons reports, constructing alibis on social media, search histories, using burner phones, a podcast. Each of these is minuscule on their own and maybe not traceable if you only see that part of the picture, but someone who has an idea of what they're looking for can use one piece to find the rest of the puzzle pieces. I've never been live in a bunker burn off my fingerprints careful because I've never had to and I don't think I would even go that far if I needed to. That sort of living just doesn't feel like living to me. I say that a bit too lightly as someone whose actions have gotten myself killed more than once, but I mean it. Well, I mean it aesthetically. I like the image of it. I like to think of myself as someone who would opt out rather than live a life of diminished quality. We'll see where the actual Mike Walters ends up by the end of the podcast. I've debatedly already debased myself too far in the name of perseverance. 
Regardless, it's good to have outsized expectations for yourself. It makes you act better. There are a bunch of security issues that I've brushed over because I got away with what I was doing at the time, and I never had to worry about them again. And I'm sure you've already noticed this, but for all of the brutality inflicted upon my body, I actually get away with almost everything that I'm doing out here. Part of this is because of my fortuitous creation of a friend group that's eager to circle the wagon around me at a moment's notice, as well as governmental security not being the well-oiled machine that it's made out to be in media, but let's be honest. I should have been caught by now, right? There should have been a camera that caught me somewhere I wasn't supposed to be. There should have been a guard with no fondness towards me who looked into one of those high-profile incidents that I've caused it over. I've been running on borrowed time for so long that it's only a matter of time before someone knocks on my door and kicks me out, or worse. I don't think spies get a slap on the wrist when they get caught. You will always leave a trace, is my point. Even if you think that you're not leaving a trace, someone smarter than you that's thought about it longer has figured out a way that you have left a trace. If you're making enough waves, for instance, making waves from the Pacific Ocean appear inside of a building, someone has noticed. If you think that no one has noticed, then maybe there's someone who's been looking the other way. Someone's looking the other way for Mike Walters. This is Woebegone. Life was good at the Mike Walters household for a solid minute. It's easy to forget how good it is to have some semblance of morale when you've become unaccustomed to having it. I cleaned my house like an actual adult might and got it presentable enough to have company over. Or at least good enough not to feel embarrassed when intruders showed up unannounced to rough me up. Fine, break my arm, but please don't tell anyone how I live. I hadn't heard from the Flinchites since my interaction that led me to introducing one of them to a bustling city in the mountains in Central Asia, but I wasn't expecting to. I don't think that Flinchite meant to come to my cabin, or was sent by their organization to meet with me. If I had to guess, I would say that he was sent back by someone on my side of this conflict to give me some info that I needed. I desperately wanted what the Flinchites had. They had an organizational structure. They had people who were employed instead of forced into work by an unknown game runner. Everyone in the organization is a known quantity to each other. There can be expectations. The guy I encountered seemed low on the totem pole, and even he had some idea of what was going on. And even he made it sound like I didn't have the skills to apply for a job there, even if I wasn't on their naughty list. I had no choice but to stay in my own lane, a guy playing a game while the more serious people involved were out doing a job. I had to do things my own way, using my own judgment, and with no one to scrutinize or improve upon my ideas. Great. Infiltrating Tier 2 was still the objective du jour. I wasn't fully sure what all I could get out of my visits there, but so far they had yielded something useful most of the time. If anything, regularly visiting Tier 2 in order to stumble across whatever I could on a given night seemed genuinely vital to my staying alive. 
I hadn't been looking for anything in particular when I saved myself from the bear. It was an accident. It was also something that I had to do. The bear would have killed me if I hadn't been screwing around on a random computer. It might have been something that I had to do in the most literal sense as well. Since I did experience the bear disappearing the night the attack happened, something would eventually have to cause that or the bear would not have disappeared. Or maybe that would have happened regardless of what I did that night in Tier 2. I don't know, what do I look like, a time travel expert? Don't answer that. I'm not a time travel expert just because I've traveled through time. You've probably flown on a plane before. Are you a plane expert? Don't answer that if you're a plane expert. The only thing that truly bothered me about sneaking into Tier 2 night after night is I would have to lie to Edgar about what I was doing. Since I no longer needed to manipulate him as a tool to get what I wanted, our, and I'm just going to say it so we can all move on with our lives, relationship had really been allowed to bloom. It's a beautiful thing when a twink and a hairy pile of scar tissue love each other. The need to be duplicitous around him to steal door codes had occupied a large amount of space in our relationship, and once it was gone, our feelings for each other were able to expand into this newfound space. Even though we were becoming powerfully close to one another, I could never, under any circumstances, tell him about Wobegon. I couldn't tell him about sneaking into Tier 2, even though I wasn't using him to do so anymore. I couldn't tell him about the Flinchites. I couldn't tell him that there were three of the weird guy with the Minnesota accent wandering around. I couldn't tell him about that oopsie-poopsie moment when I accidentally caused him to suddenly begin drowning in the middle of the ocean. And I'm not saying that we aren't there yet in our relationship, I'm saying I can never tell him under any circumstance for the rest of the both of our lives. These are things that will take up a huge portion of my life and he can never know about it. Never. It would be an irrevocable black stain on our relationship. It would put him in an unspeakable amount of danger. I suspect that even knowing that Wobegon exists is a sort of info hazard. Once you learn about it, you become susceptible to negative consequences of actions you haven't even taken yet. That is a hazard that I'm willing to subject you to, dear listener, but not Edgar. That's my only hang-up about continuing to venture into Tier 2. That's what's inside the dark, shriveled half of my heart that he doesn't have access to. He never will. Thank God. Not to get too ahead of myself, but is this the new endgame from Mike Walters? Originally, I suppose that the endgame was infinite power through the ascension as an immortal time travel god. So living a quiet life with a husband could be seen as something of a downgrade. Call it managed expectations instead. What if I did enough to disentangle myself from Wobegon that they would leave me alone forever, and Edgar and I fucked off somewhere in the middle of the mountains for the rest of our lives, never to be seen by the public world again? The only thing that's stopping me is the threat of violence implied by what happened last time I tried to fuck off and go back to my life. This is too much thinking for a relationship that has only begun to flourish, though. Maybe me thinking about it in terms of this relationship is a smokescreen for how I was already feeling. So, anyway, venturing into Tier 2, asked Marissa about a building that had a bad reader on the door, was connected across the Tier 2 wall, and was not occupied at night. After grilling me about having a badge and begrudgingly admitting that I did, but not telling her how I got it or whose credentials were on it, she pointed me towards a building on her route that she thought met those criteria, 118E. An astute listener might hear that number and wonder if this is the building next door to 116E, the place that I had already been going and aware of for a very long time. It was. Could I have noticed that people were badging into 118E during my time spent visiting 116E? Yes. Did I? No. Cut to night. Usual protocol, new building. 
I badged in successfully and quickly made my way inside. It was quiet, like 116E was when that was the building that I was using. I much preferred this to the main gate, which always had guards at it at the minimum and could get quite bustling even at night. The chance of getting spotted at the main gate was, well, it was 100% because there were guards there, but the chance of getting noticed by someone who had put together too much was way too high. Creeping quietly through the side entrance was the way to go. Since this building was designated for badged personnel only, there was no door with a code on the inside. If you could get into this building, you had their credentials to get into Tier 2. There wasn't a lobby for unqualified individuals like there was in 116E. 118E was a less substantial building than 116E, without the large storage area in the back. I didn't figure out exactly what it was they did in there while I was sneaking through it. I made my way through the building and came out in a place I recognized, directly next to my old haunt, where I would emerge from 116E. Sometimes I would enter Tier 2 and not have a plan other than to try to get into any buildings that I could get into. This had yielded the most lucrative results, but had also resulted in some trips that were abject failures. It was a real crapshoot. This was not a crapshoot night. I was planning on investigating the building that Mystery and Punished Hunter had used the night that I had spotted them. I suspected, not based on any hard data, that if they were going into that building that late at night, then that building might contain something juicy. If not, then oh well, but it was a point of interest that I needed to check off the list. I don't know enough about Tier 2 to know what will be of interest of me until I'm standing in front of it. I was standing in front of the building that I had seen them enter. I badged in. Success. As far as I know, Innocent Hunter has all of the same access privileges as the other two. The inside of the building wasn't any different than the other office buildings I had entered. So much of this technology was purely digital that it wasn't surprising that the infrastructure that maintained and used it was made of computers. This building was a little fancier than the others that I had been in, though. More people had their own offices instead of cubicles. <laughs> Leave it to modern society to turn permanent walls and privacy into a luxury. The doors to most of the offices weren't locked. I went inside the largest, most important-looking office. There was a laptop on the desk, alongside various personal artifacts of a person that I did not recognize. I brought the computer out of standby. It asked me for a fingerprint to prove my identity. While they hadn't been burned off for the sake of personal privacy yet, my fingerprints proved unhelpful in this regard. Stealing fingerprints is actually possible if you have access to the person in question, but I had never seen this guy before. I didn't have any way to lift fingerprints off of his desk or to turn those into something that the computer would read as an actual finger. If all of the computers in the building were like that, then I was shit out of luck. Since I had seen the hunters enter this building, I thought that perhaps one of them, or both of them, could have offices within the building. If so, I could try to steal innocent hunters' fingerprints and use them to snoop around on their computers. I closed the laptop and exited the office. As soon as I had made my way out into the connecting hallway, a strong arm forcefully pushed me into the wall beside me, holding me slightly off the ground by the neck for a moment before I could get on my toes. I could breathe shallowly, but I was being pinned against the wall with more strength than I could overcome. I was too disoriented from the blindsiding to immediately fight back. You stupid motherfucker! The man pinning me against the wall said. I don't even have words, you stupid motherfucker! I can't believe you! Ugh! I can't believe you! After a few seconds, I managed to catch enough of my breath to calm down and get my bearings. His face was so close to mine that at first I had trouble figuring out who exactly I was looking at. Eventually, my eyes fixated on a long scar that extended all the way down the left side of his face. He was swearing more profusely than even I have recounted here. Punished Hunter was angrier than I had ever seen one of the hunters get. There was malice in his eyes that made him look like a completely different person. Hunter? I asked weakly, playing up the weakness slightly for sympathy. 
He had weakened me, and life has worn me down more generally, but I was hamming it up in hopes that he would take some pity on poor old little Mike Walters. He did not relent. You're goddamn right, it's Hunter, he growled. You're going to get us killed again, you clumsy fucking oaf. What do you think that you're doing right now? I'm trying to find stuff, I said. If that wouldn't convince him of my good intentions, nothing would. You're going to find the bottom of an unmarked grave, he said. He was still pinning me to the wall with considerable force. Have you tried being careful ever in your whole fucking life? No, not really, I said. Usually someone bails me out. He grabbed my shirt with his other hand. And I wonder who usually does that, Mike. I wonder who's out there cleaning up your messes, your literal messes. You've destroyed two Tier 2 buildings. Do you know what happens to people who break into Tier 2 and demolish the security buildings inside? No, I whimpered. No one does! No one's ever had someone covering up their shit enough to get away with it. And for all of my trouble, I get what? I get to explain to my boss why my name is on the security transport log in the middle of the night in a building that I've never actually been in, and why I moved something from Tier 1 to the middle of Mongolia or wherever. Kazakhstan, I corrected him. I hate you so fucking much, Hunter said. I can't believe you. If someone had asked me to describe the worst person that could possibly be stuck right in the middle of my fucking life, I wouldn't even be able to begin to describe someone as awful as you. It was a flinch, I, I sputtered. He was in my cabin. I don't care who it was. You're lucky enough that I didn't know it was you or I wouldn't have been able to lie well enough to cover it up. I told him that it was contraband and that I moved it to an arbitrary location to neutralize it. He still had a hold on me, but he was quaking with anger, almost shaking me as a result. I felt deep remorse. This is who Hunter ends up becoming? And this is what he thinks about me? What did he say about me being stuck in the middle of his life? Was that a lie that made sense to them? I asked, despite every neuron firing in my brain, begging me not to try and make a witty back and forth with a man who might actually strangle me to death. No, Mike. It did not. It was just plausible enough that nobody opened an investigation into it for once. I was actually surprised that he had not loosened his grip on me by this point. It was a long time to be pinned against the wall. I imagine that he must be uncomfortable too, having to hold in that position and apply force for so long. I need to know what's going on in Tier 2, I said, a half-hearted justification. No you don't! Hunter said. You need to go back to Tier 1 and stay put until we're ready for you. Stop digging your own grave or someone is going to come by and push you into it. What does that mean? I asked. You are incredibly necessary to what I need to do here. I know this for a fact. You are also nigh impossible to keep alive. I don't know how you do it. It's like the world is cosmically designed in order to kill you and only you. You are the world's most killable human being. It's unreal. I'm surprised that your heart didn't stop when I surprised you and you didn't drop dead on the floor here. It doesn't help that your doll is a crayon either, bud. His grip loosened a little. I didn't know whether he was calming down or was just tired of holding me here. He did not sound calm. I think that he thought that I would bolt for the door as soon as he loosened his grip enough for me to get free, but I had no intention of doing that. I couldn't run out on someone who was telling me so many things about myself that were breaking news to me. I didn't like that I had a reputation for being difficult to keep alive. I was intrigued, though, that I was vitally important to him in some way. I pressed the issue. How am I important? I asked. Thank God you don't know, he said. I gave him a puzzled look. What's that supposed to mean? I asked. 
If you knew you wouldn't stick around, you would get in your car and you'd drive until you found a place that you thought that we couldn't find you. We'd haul you back, kicking and screaming anyway. There isn't any hiding you can do anymore with the info you've given us, but it would be another huge pain in my ass to track you down. What's going to happen is unspeakably horrible and it involves you directly and there's no way to prepare for it. He gazed off after saying this, apparently remembering a traumatic memory. Is that how you got the big scar on your face? I asked. If only that was the souvenir that I got from it, he said. I'm sorry that that happens to us, I said. Well, you're going to pay for it, don't you worry, he said. Do I not even get a hint? I asked. You would do anything to get out of it. You're squirrely enough without knowing what's going on. If you got even more out of hand, I'd have to put you on an actual leash, he said. If that's what you're into, I said. He did not respond to this statement. So the point of this ambush is that I shouldn't use the keycard anymore, I asked. Yes, that's the point of this conversation. You are making our jobs harder, you are putting our lives in danger, and you're not even doing whatever it is you think you're doing. You're not close to figuring out whatever it is that you want to figure out, and you never will be. You're about as close to the truth as that guy that you sent to Mongolia is to Old Brush Valley. He finally, finally let me go. I didn't attempt to run. Kazakhstan, I corrected him again. Oh, he said, I had no idea what you said the first time. Well, you had your arm against my throat, I reminded him. Yeah, I did. I'm not sorry, he said. He sounded a little bit sorry, in my opinion. I know the feeling, I said. Give me the badge, he said, reaching out his hand, expecting immediate and enthusiastic cooperation. Really? I asked. Fuck yeah, really, Hunter said. He opened and closed his hand in the universal hand-it-over motion. But I have to use it to get back to Tier 1, I explained. No, you don't, he said. Come. He turned and began to walk. I followed him. He led me into an office. Sit in the chair, he commanded. I sat in the chair. He sat in the office chair at the desk across from me and logged into the computer that was sitting there. Put the badge on the desk, he said. I didn't move. I will hurt you. You absolute idiot, he said. I can't believe you put the badge on the desk. I put the badge on the desk. He typed something on his computer. Now, don't move. Like, hold your breath if you can manage it, he said. I don't like where this is going, I said. I don't care, he chuckled. We're getting you back home safe and sound. It's time for bed, kiddo. I don't like where this is going, I repeated. Well, honestly, fuck you, Mike Walters. Bye, he said and pressed a button. I was back in my cabin, disoriented from the travel. Unlike last time, I was standing on the floor and not my bed, which was a nice touch. I checked the time, and it seemed to be around the time that I was in the building with Punished Hunter, although I wasn't at all certain of that. Once the world stopped spinning around me, I laid face down on my bed in shock for a few minutes. It was late, and I was exhausted. It wasn't that long ago that I considered Hunter Jeremiah Hartley to be my best friend. We had drifted apart naturally, as our lives demanded different things of us, but we still kept in close contact with each other. That close contact was how I was able to get Innocent Hunter's badge in the first place. I was unable to imagine how the situation between us deteriorated so severely that Punish Hunter would be so irate with me. It made me want to do better by him, but if Punish Hunter is from the future and that's how he feels about me, then I suspect that no matter how I feel now, I won't ever do better by him. Otherwise, what happened tonight wouldn't have happened. I'm cursed, essentially, to ruin that friendship and to be hooked into this whole thing for the long haul from the sounds of it. None of that's news that I wanted to hear. It was 2 a.m. I wanted to call Edgar. 
I wanted to go over to his cabin. I wanted to vent about what happened to me. I would probably cry. A valve being opened and unable to close until it empties out. It was not enough to be vulnerable in the privacy of my own cabin. I needed someone to see me be that vulnerable and tell me that it was alright, that things were going to be alright, and that it was alright that I'm not strong enough to handle it right now, and that I won't be strong enough to handle whatever ominous fate-punished hunter says is coming for me. And of course I couldn't do that. If I called him up and told him, Punished Hunter says I can't use my illegal Tier 2 badge to investigate Flinch and Wobegon anymore because I use security.exe on a Flinchite, first he wouldn't have the slightest clue what I meant. Any explanation would drag him into my CD world. Any explanation would make him hate me, or at least never be able to trust me ever again. The stupid motherfucker that got in way too deep, as Hunter put it. The clumsy fucking oaf. I don't know that I'd ever heard Hunter swear before. It drove home exactly how poorly he thought of me. Ring ring. My better judgment can't come to the phone right now. That's supposed to be a metaphorical ring ring, but also onomatopoeia to indicate that I had called Edgar. It's clever if you think about it. Mike? He groggily answered. Yeah, it's Mike, I said sullenly. What's wrong? He asked, concern quickly bringing his wits about him. Is it okay if I don't say? I asked. Uh, yeah, he said, clearly confused but trying to be comforting. Is it okay if I never tell you what's wrong? Like not just now, but more generally, ever at any time, ever that something's wrong? I asked. Well, no. He said, but we can work on that some other time. Are you okay? I don't think so, I said, being a complete drama queen and likely worrying Edgar much more than he needed to be worried. Do I need to come over there? He asked. I don't think so, I said. I'm not in danger, I just needed to hear someone's voice. Oh, just anyone's voice will do, huh? He asked. You were actually third on my list. Hunter and Marissa didn't pick up. I teased him. Well, lucky me then, he said. We talked that way for some time until I had calmed down enough to get to sleep. The conversation only got more saccharine from there in a way that doesn't make for good podcast material. What I decided to include is already too mushy, honestly. My relationship with Edgar was so clearly a good thing for me in this part of my life, I can only wonder how I'll destroy it. For a fleeting moment, when Hunter was telling me off while telling me how bleak my future would be, I thought about asking about Edgar. I wanted to know what happened to him, if my unkindness and the world's unkindness drove him away or worse. I couldn't bring myself to ask about him. There isn't an answer to that question that doesn't involve heartache. I'm choosing to delay that heartache rather than getting a head start. Ugh, this touchy-feely nonsense. What is this? Not on my horror mystery podcast. In my house, we don't use those words. This isn't the deep introspection power hour. This is Wobegon. Next time. Well, I still have the badge data on my computer, so let's start there. Thanks for playing.